This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. Unlucky for some, it's the 13th episode of this season of the Blue Moon Podcast and it's timed perfectly for Halloween week. There'll be no frights for Manchester City on the pitch as they're now top of both the Premier League and the Champions League group. And we've got two spooktacular performances to cast our eyes over. There were no tricks, only treats for supporters with a fantastic 5-0 win over Burnley and a brilliant 3-0 victory against Shakhtar in Ukraine. In today's show, we'll also be looking at some ghoulish goings on at Main Road as historian Gary James talks us through some of the more supernatural elements of City's previous stadium. And we'll be looking ahead to two games with Spurs and Fulham too. Sean Blinkhorn will be giving us a lowdown on City's EDS players and their campaign so far. And we've got your questions in Ask the Panel to Field as well. So we better get going. I'm your host, Sam Roscoe, and I'm joined in the studio by Gold.com's Sam Lee and the BBC Radio 5 Lives and Blue Moon Podcasts, David Mooney. David, uh, you're all right. Yes, not too bad. Everybody okay? Sam, you all right there? Good, thanks. Yeah, could have done with a bit more punnage in the start of that, but I'm sure we'll <laughs> add some more in as we go through. Absolutely, no doubt about that. So first of all, then, taking a look at the uh, the week we've just had, Burnley and Shakhtar, couldn't have asked for more, really. Two big wins and, and top of the league and the group as well. Happy days, surely. It's funny, isn't it? Because um, I don't know if you agree, Sam, but I don't think City have really hit for, hit full <laughs> pace yet. I was going to say this in a minute. I think they might have, but go on. <laughs> I, well, I, I'm, I, I still feel like there's like we're still kind of seeing the effects of a late, uh, an early start to the season with a, a World Cup in the in the summer. Um, I think they've been playing very well. I just don't think. I think there's there's still a little bit more left in the in the tank to try to kind of get out of them. When you when you look at where they are. You know, unbeaten in the league, top of the league, and, uh, and and looking quite comfortable there. Champions League, all right, they had a setback against uh, against Leon, but you know they've overcome that pretty as quickly as they possibly could. I mean, a late goal for for Hoffenheim in the other game helped them out there, but you know they, they're flying high in that, and you can't really, like Sam said, you can't really ask for more. Yeah, um, it's in terms of performances, I think they, I don't, I don't know, I think they're just about there. Maybe taking a few more chances, mm. but. Again, that might be it. That might be it. Yeah. But in terms of the results, I mean, you wouldn't be massively surprised. I, just, I mean, eighteen wins last season. I'm not saying City were lucky last year, but maybe they'll be unlucky this year mm. and they'll get stopped again. At, I don't know, six or seven in or something, or fifteen in. Who knows? But you wouldn't be surprised because it just seemed like they're in their groove now. And what what I was thinking in terms of them hitting their stride was the first few weeks of the season. Basically, just up until Anfield, people were still saying, "I'm not really sure City have." got to last year's level yet and but I was thinking well they're trying new things they're trying completely different formations and you know it's not been the same but they're not playing the same way they're learning new things they're still winning so fine but the last couple of weeks obviously Anfield that could have been a win but regardless of that you got the last two games against two very different opponents very similar outcomes and it does seem like they've got their rhythm back Mm -hmm. now and obviously De Bruyne is back um, and you compare it to last season where Laporte wasn't even there and now he's playing every minute in the Premier League, the only outfield player to do that. There's just... And Mendy's back in the team as well compared to you know this stage last season where he was out of it. And there's just so much more tactical fluidity and understanding. And like John Stones being at right back, it may have got to a may have got to the stage where he could play right back now even if Walker's fit because of what he gives to the team going forward and maybe making Fernandinho a bit more solid. So, yeah, it's... It's all coming together, and um, you know, in terms of the Spurs game coming up, which we'll get to before, whenever when Guardiola was settling in, you think, oh, Spurs would always give City a difficult game, and I'm sure they will give them a bit of a game, more of a game than some of the home games City have had, but still fully expect City to win because they seem to be right in the groove at the moment. Looking at those two most recent performances, just how good were they against Burnley and Shakhtar? I think Burnley is a is an interesting one because we'd said in the in the podcast before Burnley are one of the teams that kind of have it in them to be able to shut a game down. Um, okay, this season not quite been the same for them, but City City just I wanted to say they they did what they needed to do, but they 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 kind of I I, I still felt like like if they wanted to they could have it. They could have hit more against Burnley. Yeah, well, to be fair, up until half time, it was a bit like, "Are you going to kill this off?" Or, yeah, or are they or are Burnley going to equalise from a corner or something? And then obviously, 
the, the two goals in about a minute or whatever it was that did finish it. Mm. But yeah, you're right. If they'd have done that up until half time, then you'd be talking even more. And then the midweek game. I mean, the the number of chances they had in the first, like, what was it, 15 minutes or so? It was like, you could see that being one of those games where you go, well, if you, you know, if you, if you don't take your chances this one, you don't win it, then you've only got yourselves to blame because some of those chances were, were they were, they, they were almost dead cert goals. They were that good. Yeah. Um, looking at that, that Burnley match, quite a few uh, decisions, you could argue, went in, in City's way. The big one was the second goal penalty, out of play. Offside, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, and I was sat next to John Smith from ESPN, and we knew Dyche was going to come into the press conference afterwards, full of not not so much the excuses, but just just go on about the refs for three or four minutes, and then go out it's... without any care about their own performance because he was on it straight away as soon as the company won. But you got to say, so he, he does have a point with the with the company one. Um, I'm sure we'll cover this later on on the Patreon special, but. That company one could have been a red card, couldn't it? I um, I tweeted at the time, and I, I actually when I made I tweeted when, saying when, it was, yeah, I'd done a replay, but it looked fair enough. When I made the moment, <laughs> it wasn't fair enough. When I made the moment, I saw your tweet was pretty much the same as mine, and I, I said from where I was, you know, it it seemed fine, but then again, from where I'm sitting, it could be at the other side, it could be a studs up challenge on his shin, and I didn't know. Um, it was higher than that in the end. <laughs> well, yeah, it was it was a lot higher, and um, I think if you flip it on your head and that had happened to a city player, you'd be screaming for a red card. So. I think company was lucky. I think he should have. It's thirty seconds into the game, but he should have walked. Just going back to that second goal because that was the the major talking point in the game. Sean Dyche clearly wasn't happy with with her. Well, with a lot of things, to be honest <laughs> with you. But that was one of the major things that that he was going on about in his his post match uh, interviews and stuff. Should it have stood? Um. Well, I, I don't know if Sam agrees with me on this, but I thought it was a penalty in the first instance. I've not seen a proper replay of that bit of the, of yeah, the, the challenge. Yeah, the penalty bit's the least controversial but, thing. Yeah, but I, I thought it was a penalty. So ultimately, I think you can make an argument for saying, all right, Mares missed a, you know, Anfield, but generally penalties are scored. So you've not got that much of a case. And if Sean Dyche is going to come out and you know and, and lambast the officials, then you know if your defense is my team stopped playing because we all thought it was a penalty it doesn't really wash does it um but yeah the ball the ball was out of play wasn't it and ultimately i, I i'm not great on the offside law but you know silver was offside he was when the ball when, when sane last touched the ball forward he was he was off the pitch so he was counted as being on the line which was behind joe hart so he's yeah he was he was offside so i i think I mean, I would say this, but yeah, I think the goal should have stood. But I could understand why if it wasn't. What does it say about the officials that they've they've missed? You know, three pretty glaringly obvious issues, if you like, in that in that one move, the penalty, the the ball out of play, and then obviously you know the offside. Well, it was a shambles, wasn't it? And it, it's basically entirely John Moss's fault because whether it, <laughs> yeah. but whether it's a penalty or not, he put the whistle to his lips. So in everybody the, we, stops. And we yeah. could see that from the press box, which is about miles away. The players went, well something's coming here. So and again and yeah, there's the play my, to my the whistle element. Is, but it's like if my other as thing a human is, being, the whistle is coming. Like, yeah. You can't really blame them for that. It wasn't like he just they switched off for no reason. They thought it's like Pavlovian conditioning. Yeah. If the referee puts a whistle to his mouth, he's gonna blow it. But my other thing is as well is um if everybody stops, it's probably a penalty. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know, if if the defending team go, oh, cry, you know, penalty's coming here. Yeah, you think the referee would go, well, you know, every, everyone stops. My instinct was it was a penalty. It's probably a penalty. Yeah, <laughs> and he's not he's not given it. Yeah, so. so but that was the weird thing. But then that didn't just throw him, because according to Joe Hart, and I'm not sure if you can take everything he says at face value, but according to Joe Hart, the ref uh, the linesman told him after the game that the ref doing that made him switch off as well because yeah. he thought the game would stop so obviously he wasn't looking at David Silva he wasn't looking at whether the ball was in he wasn't considering if David Silva was offside he can't really again you can't really blame the linesman either because but, you think the game is going to stop so and all it takes he could know of being a linesman is all split second stuff yeah. so if you stop concentrating for one second then you lose it's, it's, all, it's, all, gone. it's all gone he could have saved all face though by just waving the flag and putting it well, don't put it across the chest anymore but yeah he could just wave the flag for a penalty and then, uh, then nobody would have been any the wiser but um, I don't know if you can. I don't know if you can give it. <laughs> but it's it's imp- it's impossible because there's not really a precedent because literally mm. everybody switched off. The defenders, most of the attackers, to be fair, like the city players didn't. So that credit to them. Um, 
but the linesman as well the linesman being taken out of the game completely it's like you might as well you might as well have a sub like run into him and just <laughs> knock him over because if the linesman isn't able to make a decision doesn't matter, it's the ref's it? fault then it's just what can you do about that yeah. I, I, and, that's a genuine question I don't know and as someone with Bernardo Silva in my fantasy league team yeah it should definitely have stood 100% uh, Leroy Sane as well similar sort of situation was he a bit lucky I think that I think that yellow was, was, mad, I, that yeah I think yellow was right on that though. I think he's got a temper Sane hasn't he well, yeah, we think, certainly saw it, didn't yeah. we? Yeah, and I think it was really mad. Yeah, I, th- I think I think a yellow was right just because of of kind of what had gone on before. The, the two of them had, had a bit of it was a bit of afters, wasn't it, for a few in, a few kind of comings together a bit earlier on. Um, and I mean, it's not pretty, but you know, it wasn't a wasn't a flying kick. He has he has he kicked his foot and tripped him up. That's that, that's the extent of it, really. Very petulant. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. have been surprised if it was a red. But on Sky Sports News on Monday morning, they. They spend like an hour re-refereeing like games from the weekend they do. with Dermot Gallagher, and it's interminable, really. But for whatever reason, <laughs> I watched it this week and probably quite a few others. But they said if it had been a red card, would you have said, "Oh, it definitely wasn't"? And I was thinking they'd be like, "Oh no, you could probably say fair enough." But Dermot Gallagher, he's so like stony-faced and straight down the line, he was like, it "Just wasn't a red card, no way." And it's like, "Wow, okay." So I mean, if, if someone is like a former ref like that, and someone who is such a stickler for rules and yeah, backing yeah. up refs, someone who someone who leaves then, it two hours before I'm, going swimming after eating that sort of yeah. that sort of person, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's someone exactly like that. I'm just going to go with that. So yeah, I wouldn't have been surprised personally if it was a red card, but mm. if if that's the case and he's saying it's not, then let's go with that. You yeah. you well do that, don't you, David? Well, I I haven't been in a pool for about. <laughs> Five years now, so yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> um, whilst we're, we're talking about Leroy Sane and, and not how long you should uh, should wait before you <laughs> swim uh, for eating, uh, <laughs> does it put to bed the idea that, that Sane and, and Mendy can't play together the past couple of performances? Um, I don't know, ultimately. We've not seen a lot of them together. Um, they work well together. I mean, Sam, you've tweeted again. Uh, not that I only follow you on Twitter. I follow a lot of people, but it seems I only spot yours. Good. Um, you tweeted about the similarities between the last goal and the goal against Liverpool, oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. the five nil, where where Mendy popped it in the box and Sane just turned it in. Um, wasn't quite as emphatic a finish as the one against Liverpool, but it, I there's this argument that they both want the same space on the left, um, and Sane's been doing a pretty good job of of kind of dancing around coming inside a bit, and Mendy, like you think about the the Arsenal game at the start of the season, Mendy was bombing on through the middle, so. I don't see any reason, in theory, why they can't play together. I'd just like to see a little bit more before I actually make a judgment on it. Yeah, and Guardiola said, this isn't just one of those things where you have to take my word for it, Guardiola said that Sane's not so good coming in on yeah. to his right. Um, and that's been one of the factors. But if he can sort that out and he can improve, then um, it'll be fine. But at the same time, Sterling's shown that he really well, can the, do it this The season. interesting thing is is that Sterling has played on the left a lot more. He was he was absolutely useless on the left in his first season. He was, you know, mm. you'd ask him to be on the left and come inside. I mean, there's the whole stuff about what Pellegrini was asking him to do with the two touches and whatnot. But ultimately, he, he just he cutting inside onto his right foot wasn't really working for him. And it seemed like a revelation when Guardiola put him out on the right. And yeah, I still, I, I still like to see him on the right, but... I mean, he's he's kind of he's kind of made that goal his classic goal, hasn't he? Where he steps inside, beats a couple of men, mm. still shifts it right, then hits it from the edge of the box. You think of the uh, the Arsenal game; um, it, it was like the Southampton game last season that he won. It was it's that sort of finish, um, and that's possibly a a bit more of a hindrance to Sane yeah. than Mendy yeah. being there is. What have you made of of Sane overall so far this season? Is he getting back into the groove, getting back into the swing of things? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, there's not there's not been an awful lot of evidence really, has no. there? Because he's in the team one week and obviously he was really out of it against Newcastle, dropped altogether. And then he came back against Fulham and then he had a few switch-off moments towards the end, which obviously you know, Guardiola wouldn't really tolerate. And then he's been in and out of the team and I thought they would have brought him on the other night when Shakhtar pushed up because mm. just let him run in behind. So much space on there. But obviously they, they kept him back. Maybe they've got a plan for him uh, at Spurs or, or beyond that. But yeah... Um, He's, he, it was the same last season. He got Young Player of the Year. I, I thought Sterling had a better season because he was more consistent. Sane's highs are much higher than Sterling because they're just a bit more spectacular. But he's kind of player. But, but his he, lows he's, are like, yeah. can be like, dreadful. His form really peaks and troughs. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's not he's he's not really had a dreadful low this season. Even like an individual, well, in fact, the Wolves, Wolves, Wolves wasn't great. Yeah. Shocker, wasn't it? <laughs> um, but yeah, since then, he's he's getting back there and he's had more of those moments where 
it's just breathtaking and no one else in the team very few players in Europe can do it like just from a standing start just the way he goes it's it's incredible really and he's, he's been doing that more often but his legs look too long for his chance. body that's that, <laughs> yeah. that, that's what I say like when he when he he keeps control of the ball so well for somebody whose legs look like they don't fit underneath him it, I don't really yeah <laughs> uh, let's take a look at, at Manchester City in in the Champions League and, and manager Pep Guardiola had some interesting things to say ahead of that game against Shakhtar and this is exactly what he said when I saw my team last season and this season in many circumstances the club we are honestly I still we are not ready to win it that is what I feel so I could say the opposite but this is what I feel. That doesn't mean that we are not going to try to achieve it. But to win that competition is not enough to, to desire or want it, to want it. It has to happen many, many circumstances. Have experience, like still we don't have enough in some moments of the games and the competitions. But every game we play is a new experience. We're going to get it. But it's not enough. The manager want to win it. How to desire the media in the last point, of course. How to desire the club. The chairman, the owner, the fans, everybody wanted to push to be closer, to achieve next stages. When that happened, and everybody feels we have the demanding, because one important thing to, to win this kind of title, you have to be pushed, not just the manager. Everybody has to be pushed from everybody surrounding Man City, you have to win it. And still we don't have that feeling. Then the feel that the fans push, you have to win the Champions League. And that's why still I don't feel we are, I think we are a good team. I cannot deny that because we are a, a really good team. It's a pleasure to work with them. But that competition, they have a, something special that I have still, I don't feel it. Get your hands on an exclusive Blue Moon podcast badge, bottle opener or mug by becoming a backer patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast Pep Guardiola's thoughts on Manchester City and the Champions League we asked for your reaction to those comments on Twitter and we've had quite a few replies in Josh said the atmosphere is rubbish at home it's what he's saying and he's right times are hard core fan base has been priced out and diluted by the new £8,000 seats who don't get involved at the minute but that's Premier League football standard, sadly. Cheech has been in touch. A lot of it relates to UEFA and their agenda, but I don't think it's just that. I don't remember there ever being that much buzz about it, even at the start. I guess that is semi-related because we won the league and got the worst draw of the English teams. Meanwhile, Helen says, I bet if they sold Champions League match tickets for a tenner, Fans would show more enthusiasm for the competition. Perhaps Pep could take that up with the relevant people. Uh, and also, we have got Bigly Unwitty, who says, I think he's saying it takes more than just a talented squad. Our boys on the field need to have that encouragement from the fans to push for that little extra bit. The tired line about the 110%. Guys, uh, first of all, what do you make of, of the comments that Pep has made in relation to City in the Champions League and what do you make of, of some of the reaction from the fans? It's weird, isn't it? Because he's not wrong. Let's be honest. The fans don't buy into the Champions League. There's something about Champions League nights, especially at the Etihad, where um, you get this kind of couldn't care less feel. Um, I, I I suspect he doesn't kind of get the whole background to why that feeling has kind of arose. I disagree. There was one in there that... Um, uh, said I don't remember the feeling about, about being a buzz at the start of it all. I disagree with that. I I, I remember that Napoli yeah, game. It was electric, wasn't it? For the, the the first year under Mancini, when they first qualified for the Champions League, the I, fan, the, fans were re- I think they were into it for the, that. The Villarreal game where Sergio Aguero scored in in the last minute. You know the buzz around the stadium. And it was that Mancini celebration yes, with like the yeah, nine yeah, was, punches yeah, off yeah. each hand. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a buzz that year, and over the course of of what is it now, seven, eight years, it's just faded away through one thing or another. And you know, whether you agree with each of the elements or not, um, there is, you can understand why it's happened. Um, you know, there was uh, Helen in there tweeted about the ticket prices that that has had an effect. There was the whole uh, the thing with the PSG. Um, and Real Madrid games a couple of years ago when they got to the semi-finals about them being priced too highly. Um, 
there's you know the the way UEFA are dealt with uh, with allegations of racism to the opponents and then the the CSK Moscow game supposed to be behind closed doors but it, it kind of was and it wasn't and the city fans were messed about and so the the two what ultimately what's happened is the fans and and the Champions League have drifted apart and City have been caught in the middle and I have sympathy with Guardiola because he wants to win the competition. He he doesn't he he doesn't see this. He doesn't get why this has, has kind of erupted. But and it, and it must feel like he's he's trying to drag the team through sand to just try and get them to get some enthusiasm about the about the place for the games. Um, I, I don't know where I stand on it to be honest with you, Sam. How can he or City change the the attitude towards the competition from? Well, this is it. I don't, I'm not sure if he can. Um, the whole thing. Whether Guardiola's right or not, and whether, for argument's sake, the next Champions League game you fill it with sixty thousand fans who completely agree with Guardiola doesn't guarantee it's going to be a good atmosphere. Mm. You, you can't compel some people. You can't compel people to love something mm. or to to generate a buzz around something. It's it's genuine or, or mm. it's not, and it's not going to change even if people wanted to because you've got big games and people psych themselves up for big games because they're big games. You can't make a big game out of nothing. I think it, it's a big it, game because of the circumstances and people mm. go to it because of that and then the tension in the ground the nerves around the ground the atmosphere in the ground buzzes from that you don't you can't just even if you get a ticket for 10 quid even if you get it for free if it feels like you're coming out on a wet Wednesday night to watch a to watch a game I, I don't think there'd be any difference between that and like the Fulham game on Thursday yeah the best I mean the best atmosphere I remember at the Etihad barring that Manchester derby uh, that would decided the league in 20 well didn't decide the league but got City back yeah. into the league in, in 2012 um, was the Hamburg game and Tickets for that were, I think they were a fiver uh, in certain parts of the ground. They were certainly dirt cheap. And it was, I, I think actually the situation helped that because City were up against it. They were yeah. they, they were 3-1 down from the away leg. They were pretty much guaranteed to go out on that night. And they needed a big performance to, mm. to kind of get out. And it also, it defined the season because they, were, they weren't going to get back into Europe through the league position. They were doing too badly in the league. They weren't challenging for the Champions League or the title. It was that, it, the season came down to winning that game or losing that game. After that, it was a bit of a you know, dead rubbers till the end of the year. So I think that's a difference as well. People will remember that game as, as one that they thought, oh, you know, it's electric and mm. it, ticket prices were low. And yeah, all that played a part. But... City have got another big game coming in a few weeks and then they've got another big game coming in a few weeks and all of a sudden mm. the number of big games that City have got the, like the Spurs game will be far more fans will be far more up for that than they will for the for any Champions League game this season most probably it immediately changes though doesn't it when you know you, you, you're drawn against Paris Saint-Germain in, in the knockout stages you know who are they're going for a Champions League win you know it, it certainly changes when, when you come up against the, the likes of Shakhtar, or even to a certain extent, Leon, if you like, uh, it, it does make a difference, doesn't it? Well, I mean, I'm it's just natural, isn't it? A yeah. big game's mm. a big game. Well, like, my my definition might be different to the next person's, mm. but generally with these things, these the, these are the games that everyone wants tickets for. And generally, if it's one of those, then the the people who have got tickets are going to be up for it. And it, it's just, yeah, you can't just say, oh, can you come to the Shakhtar game and, and make some noise? 100%, yeah, yeah. Look, look, clubs have been trying to find solutions to atmosphere problems mm. at loads of Premier League clubs for decades now for years. Yeah. But then there's kind of the other side of it, and it, the point was made by Mike Mike Hammond, Mike Number Five on Twitter. He was he was saying, and it's a good point really. Regardless of this, the atmosphere against Liverpool last year from the away fans at Anfield was really good. The atmosphere for the home game was really good. Again, a big game, organic, didn't make any difference in the end. Look, yeah. There's there's other factors, decision, refereeing decisions or whatever, but. If there's a good atmosphere, it doesn't mean you're going to win. Fine, it could help, but it's just there, there's there's no guarantee, basically. Yeah. But like I say, you can't you can't manufacture it anyway. It needs to be. It's just England. England's fan culture is different. Like and if you got a bloke standing at the front with a microphone, a megaphone, we'd all someone will say, yeah. "Get out of here, get out of here." Yeah. And someone will take the megaphone off him and smash it. Yeah. But <laughs> it works all around Europe because they, you know, that's it's, they it's dictate different culture, the fans yeah. and it's it's a different culture and they go to games to make noise and it's good and you know. There's a bit a bit of a thing going on with Palace, where the Palace fans who make the noise, basically they wanted to kick the other fans out from right behind the goal. They were a bit entitled about it, really. But there was a whole standoff. But it's like, at least they do actually try and make a noise. Mm. And people go, oh, look at them. They're trying to be different, trying to be European. That's such an English mentality to have, <laughs> not trying to do down people who are actually trying to do something interesting and different. Mm. Um, but that just ties into the whole thing. You can't, you can't make somebody do something they don't want to do. And can I make a confession just before we move on on this? Um, 
I, I've not been to a Champions League game this season and, I, and the chances are I probably won't. And the reason for that is I didn't realise over the summer that the, the cup schemes auto-renewed. Yeah. Um, no, they didn't. No, didn't auto-renew, auto sorry. Renew. Um, and I kept getting emails from the, from Sissy saying, "Oh, your cup scheme's not. Uh, you're not in the cup scheme, sort of thing." And I just kept ignoring them, thinking, "Oh well, it'll auto renew." And I'd mi- completely missed that it did that. Um, tickets have been available, and I've been in work, and I've been thinking I could go down and get a ticket. I'm just gonna watch it on telly. Yeah, and that's that's where I am with it at the minute. Yeah. Well, we've not even really covered the side of this, where there's loads of fans listening to this, I'm sure, who say, "Guardiola can piss off," and I know loads of City fans who've been like that, and that's for. You know all the good that Guardiola's done for the club, and um, you know people won't won't take that into consideration for any point. They think he should carry on, he should manage the team, he should mind his own business. Basically, mm. well, we can decide what we want to do, and like like you there, deciding not to go to the game mm. for what for whatever reason. You know, you don't have to justify yourself to anyone. No, exactly. And I'm there's not... a lot of fans who are like that. I must admit, so when it's like I don't know, even if it's twenty, thirty quid, more than that, certainly. Who can be asked with that? I was at the Leon game and uh, I found it a, a real tough watch in that first half until Leon scored. Uh, then I thought, here we go. This is now, then now, <laughs> oh, yeah, here we go. Yeah, then yeah. that's, another, well, that's a, another natural thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, I, I, it's a bit of a tangent, but I watched the 2012 Champions League final in Munich because I thought Barcelona and Madrid would play each other and they, <laughs> they both lost to Bayern and Chelsea. So I watched it in a bar. And beforehand, like Michael, Michael Ballack was on the TV doing his predictions, and he said he'd be like four 0 to Bayern. Everyone in Munich thought they were just going to walk it. And then when Drogba scored the equaliser, I think it was, everyone was gutted. And my wife, well, she wasn't my wife then, she's now. She was, oh no. And I was like, this is good. Exactly the same thing you were saying there. I was like, this is good. Come on, now they have to work for it. It's not going to be easy. The atmosphere is now going to be really good. Obviously, little did I know they'd bottle it and they wouldn't (laughs) win, and it was a terrible (laughs) night. But that is a completely natural thing, isn't it? Like that, that, that is the only kind of. Mm the only kind of time that things can change like that but once you're in the ground like it's too late you can't mm. you can't let people in at half time it's just natural things in football that happen that way and that that's the only way it's going to change if it's a, if it's, it's, it's got to be organic hasn't it yeah. Yeah. city's chances of of winning the champions league this season what do you what do you think how, how yeah good seen? good um i mean the other thing where guardiola says because guardiola's i think he's using this particular way now to get the fans on board because he mentions it a bit and we know what Guardiola's like if he's got something to get off his chest he'll get it off his chest he'll go out of his way to do it and he'll make a little (laughs) dig about it and this is one of the things that bugs him Um, but it wasn't always about this last season he was just saying I'm still not sure if we've got it he didn't really link it to the fans it was just oh we might not have the experience or you know the big game mentality kind of thing and the players are growing in that respect but when you look at the fact that I think is it the last five Champions Leagues a team with Messi or Ronaldo has won it and not just Messi and Ronaldo, but you know, look at all Ronaldo's teammates, like Marcelo, Ramos, Cruz, Modric, loads of people like that. And for all the quality players City have got, they haven't got experienced players, they haven't got World Cup winners. Fine, Mendy now. We'll see. And, and ish, does David, ish. Does, and does David Mendy Silva? Count? Yeah, all right, let's not go into split. <laughs> but, regard, but, you know, but you know what I mean? But they, these teams have got loads of them. These teams have got loads of them. And that's I think that's what Guardiola meant last season, and that does come to it. But I think I think City were the best team in Europe last season. Yeah, exactly. But then when things went against them, whether it was rightly or wrongly with the refereeing decisions or just you know the the goals that Liverpool scored legally, it wasn't a they, great they didn't stand up. Yeah, and the same thing in the return leg. And this is the kind of thing where I do think this big game experience comes into it. So can they win it? Yeah, absolutely. They've got one of the best squads around, if not the best. Now they've got the best manager around, in my opinion. Um, but it doesn't always work like that, does it? But they definitely can. Like, they were, there's no, there's no. Basically, I wouldn't say there's no chance they're going to win it. I don't, I don't think anybody would say that in Europe. I think gone are the days where um, I think City would regret being drawn against one of the big boys in Europe. I think they can stand up to them. I think the problem is they've got two problems in the Champions League. I think first off, drawing Liverpool for whatever reason they've just they. Maybe the the draw at Anfield a few weeks ago will change things, but ultimately City don't do well against Liverpool, and that's that was the problem last season. And the second one is, you know, it's the experience thing that Sam says. They, in order to get the experience, you've got to you've got to get there and and do it. But every every stage, there's they've just kind of wimped out at the wrong moment. And last season, yeah, I think it was. It's I think it's unfair to call it wimping out against about what happened with Liverpool because they. Guardiola tied himself up in knots trying to combat what Liverpool were going to do. He he got it all wrong in the, in the first leg and, and ultimately was punished for that. But in the years before Monaco, they should have they should have got past Monaco. They you know they they just yeah. didn't stand up to that ten minutes in in uh, in Monaco. Um, 
that Pellegrini season, yeah, they got to the semi-finals, but they didn't play particularly well across a couple of those games in there. And they were, um, again, they, they got some favourable draws on the way. It, ultimately, the other side of it as well, ultimately, you can you can win the Champions League by getting some good draws. Liverpool got to the final last year. They they got some they got some very good draws along the way. They ran into Real Madrid, who just were, were better than them. Um, moving on from the Champions League, just taking a look at the defence. Five clean sheets in a row in the Premier League. What does that say about this defence of Manchester City's at the minute? Because we've, Guardiola we've, and we focus, actually. Go on, go on. We focus quite a lot on the, the offence, don't we? And that obviously gets highlighted because of the, the names in that, that forward line. But looking at the defence, they've done really well, haven't they? It's Laporte, isn't it? Yeah, well, Laporte is a big one. But what I was going to say was Guardiola, he, he said it a few times and company said it as well. It's it's not the defence, is it? It's the whole thing. Um, and it's it's the, the positional play, the style of football that Guardiola wants and the whole thing about, you know, we read it in the Marty Perrinow books before he came about, they make what, 15 passes they want them to do and then they're set and that's why if they give the ball away in their own half, Guardiola's like down on his haunches because he's like, that's the worst thing you can do and Morris did it once the other night um, and he, the team was all over the place because Stones was, you know, transitioning yeah. from, going from right back to the middle and then he was, you know, just, just everything was all position, over the place yeah. but if you make those 15 passes, you're set and if you lose it then, in their half you know, in the opposition half, there's no big spaces to break into because everyone's where everyone is where they need to be, and that's what we're seeing now. When Guardiola mentioned it after the Fulham game, I think he said, and he doesn't really praise the team like this in public, but he said our positional game is really good, and it's like that for him to say that in public. It was a bit like when he said, "Did he say on the documentary, obviously in the dressing room, when he told them they were the best team in the world or whatever?" Or he said, "I'm pretty sure we're going to win the Premier League in like." January. You don't expect him to say that in public. And it was the same. He doesn't really praise how good they are then. But I think that's what it is. They all know where they need to be. You know, they they defend high up the pitch. They defend by having the ball and using it well and not getting counterattacked on. Fernandinho said after the game at the weekend in the mix zone, they don't give away many free kicks and fouls and they don't defend so much from corners. And company said it all ties in. But yeah, going back to what you said about Laporte, all the defenders you play, all of them, he, to a to a slightly lesser extent, Mendy, <laughs> but he's been solid enough last couple of games. Yeah. Um, in terms of the individual defending, when they have to do it, we saw it a few times mm. when they when Shakhtar got into the box. They're there. They're standing up to the jewels. They're winning it's, the tackles. They're winning the headers. They know what to do. It's such a good partnership he's formed with Stones at the minute. I can't I, I can't praise them too enough. Um, they complement each other so well. And uh, this idea that you, you need if you've got a ball playing centre half, you need somebody who's, hmm. who's big and tough next to him to, to you know go up and win the headers and kick a few people and you know that kind of English football mentality. Um, I actually watched those two play. Neither of them are afraid to do that. They both get stuck in, um, but. They both, they, they just, they're flowing with confidence. And we talk about uh, uh, the defence, and as Sam said, they, they're defending from all over the pitch. They're defending from high up the pitch. Um, you see the number of times they actually win the ball back in the in the opposition half or or stop a counter-attack and then counter the counter almost <laughs> immediately. Um, when when it is, when Stones and Laporte are called upon, they've been generally solid this season. Um, and... You know, I, I fans. I think fans are stopping having that momentary heart attack. You know, when they're, they're quite happily knocking it around between themselves and Edison, with six opposition players pressing them in the in the box, because there's always a way out. There's yeah. th- they know the position so well that there's always somebody who has moved into space to be able to receive the ball, and then four passes later they've got a three on two down the other end. It's 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 yeah. I reckon it's Guardiola a, wishes that would happen more often. Yeah, when you know they're being pressed in their own box, because more often than not, within five seconds on the halfway line, they've had, five, yeah. they've had a shot. The of it, yeah, yeah. Um, how do you feel for Otamendi? Came in for for Shakhtar. He's not really been getting much much time, has he? You got to feel sorry for him because I mean, he played well last season. He, he was a. I, I don't want to over egg the pudding, but he was. He wasn't great in his first year. Um, his second year under Guardiola, he, 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 he wasn't Five great years. in that either. But the third year, he, last season, he, yeah. he was—he really played his way into the team, and he deserved—he deserved the credit he got. Um, and you, you have to feel sorry for him because he hasn't ultimately done anything wrong to be displaced from the team. He's just got two people ahead of him who have been phenomenally good. Yeah. Again, I mentioned Marty Perrinow again, but he said midway through last season, and it's easy to forget this now. But I mean, around this time last year, we were thinking, can Altamendi and Stones play together? Neither of that reliable, particularly Otamendi. And he was great last season. Mm. And Marty Perrinow said that Otamendi's transformation just from 
a centre-back into a good centre-back is second only to Philip Lahm's transformation as a right-back into like an all-singing, all-dancing midfielder under Guardiola. And that is high praise, really, because Otamendi's not been turned into a winger or a fullback that goes He's just been made good at his own he's position. Just, yeah, <laughs> he's just been really good. And last season, up until Laporte, because Laporte's probably the best overall now, but Laporte turned into the defender at City with the biggest spread of attributes. You mentioned about having a, a ball-playing defender and, and battering a ramp, big, yeah. strong <laughs> centre-back next to him. He was both last mm-hmm. season. And... Again, Guardiola mentioned it. He, he was injured at times, but when Stones was like done his hamstring and company was out of the team, he'd play with these knocks anyway. And he was always really good. And he was such a big part of that title winning campaign. And it goes back to the question you do feel sorry for him, because especially the first weeks of the Premier League, I'm, I'd like to see how many Premier League minutes he's played, because there won't be many. Mm. Um, but it goes back to the fact that City have got four centre backs. And you can imagine them on like a graph, and it's like, well, I don't know much about maths, I can't really remember. But you can imagine like, the y-axis being good on the ball and the x-axis being battering ram. And you can just imagine the, the spread. Yeah. Companies a bit less good on the ball. It's kind of, a, it's kind of like better that. at a battering ram. It's kind of like a no-correlation meme, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. But like Otamendi's a good mix. Laporte's like the best of all of it. But it's just, yeah, Laporte's kind of lost that place now. Sorry, Otamendi's lost that place to Laporte of being the best all-round defender. But if he was a, dare I say, any other Premier League team starting every week... Mm-hmm. Although if he was at any other Premier League team, maybe he'd be being exposed and he'd be diving and chucking himself in and, and doing doing what he's doing in his first two years. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But now, you know, he, he gets protected and he knows what he's doing like the rest of them. But so does everyone else and he's got to fight for his place like everyone else. Kevin De Bruyne came off the bench against Burnley and got seventy minutes against Shakhtar. How do you think he did? Yeah, it was a weird De Bruyne performance because normally when De Bruyne plays really well, he's just you could go, oh, that pass was amazing. That goal was ridiculous. And he just runs it. But everyone played so well the other night, even the fact that the front three didn't score. And David Silva played so well. It was like De Bruyne kind of sacrificed himself for the good of the team a little bit. I think He was blowing a bit by the end, though, wasn't he? You, yeah. could, see, you could see the injury and, yeah. uh, or his I, fitness I, I was still coming. I times when... He, I haven't seen it back, but I'm trying to think back. I kind of remember it. Maybe it was a bit closer to Fernandinho, maybe giving him a bit more support. Obviously, Stones was in there as well. That would have been a lot more solid because obviously we've seen against Hoffenheim and Leon, the City have struggled a bit in those areas. So he, I think he kind of sacrificed himself. And when I say it was a quiet De Bruyne performance, I don't mean what that usually means. That normally means someone's not been very good. He was very good, but it wasn't quite as all singing or dancing. Well, it, it? it was yeah. just like going yeah. about his business. Yeah, exactly. Thing, yeah. He was sacrificing himself for the rest of the team. And he was still so still so tidy. You know, the little nutmegs to set people up. The, the, pa- the, the pass against Burnley there. was good, though. Yeah. The, the, re- the reverse one that you couldn't really that see. Was, that, that was, was incredible, insane. wasn't it? That was a 270 spin or whatever. Was <laughs> and again, if Myers had put that away, then that would have got a lot more airtime. But because it doesn't come to anything, it doesn't even make matter of the day kind of thing. Well, speaking of, of Mares, what do you make of him? Is he looking more settled? What sort of impact does he have on, on the team? I think he's been great the last couple of weeks. I'm, yeah. I'm surprised at some of the criticism he's had um, because he's, yeah, he missed the penalty at Anfield and ultimately a, a lot of people will, will hammer him for that. Um, but he's been scoring goals. He's been the 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 Burnley game early on. He put in some cracking deliveries that Aguero should have scored from. I I I don't think you can fault his recent performances. To be honest with you, with the recent performances from City, it seems mad to to talk about this. But despite those big score lines, they're, they're still wasting a lot of chances, aren't they? Yeah, but I wonder if this is this is just another one of those ways where we're looking at. City and football through like the the traditional English prism of take your chances, got to take your chances. Yeah, yeah, but like City are creating like fifteen. So what, <laughs> are they really going to score all of them? And um, maybe it's that. I mean, and I do think, like we say, we were talking about getting towards half time of the Burnley game, and are they going to kill us off? And the Shakhtar game was a bit ridiculous, wasn't mm-hmm. it? For the first half an hour, like when they, like, it was I've, never, I've never seen a, a team knock on a door so much. Yeah, it was, it, it yeah. was like this is a bit mad. Um, but it is one of those where I think they create more chances than. Well, certainly if we're just looking at it through the Premier League, I don't think any team's created as many chances as this so regularly. So, And that's just a normal thing. If you look at like the stats from any season about... If you went on like an Opta thing and went the biggest chances, big chances missed or clear-cut chances missed, and did it like Van Nistelrooy, Henri, yeah. Aguero would be right up there and you could go... If you wanted to misrepresent it, you'd go, bloody hell, they're awful. And then you look at big chances scored... And they're all and, up there as well. they're yeah. all up there as well. It just goes with it, I think, and that's probably the nature of the business. And when you create that many... Yeah, like I say, it's the nature of it. You're going to miss quite a few as well. They'll be scoring 10 week on week soon. Well, I was just going to say, the fans often chant, it should have been 10, it should have been 10. Do you think we'll see it under Guardiola? 
I hope so because I want to see what they do with the scoreboard at the Etihad because you can, you can only, fit, you, only single digits can fit on there. So I want to see what happens. Um, let's, let's break the scoreboard. That's what he's, <laughs> that's what he's doing in his uh, analysis before the games. He's got them all into the uh, into the auditorium. And he said, "Okay, guys. Okay, your Spanish accents improved." <laughs> Let's break 10. Let's uh, let's break the scoreboard even. Uh, time to move on. In years gone by, it wouldn't just be a Halloween that City fans would have had a fright. It used to be pretty much a weekly occurrence at Main Road in the 1990s, let's be honest. Uh, but with this being our last show before All Hallows Eve, we thought we'd take the opportunity to have a look at some of the more spooky goings on at the club. David Mooney is on the case. <laughs> It's two and a half years since Fabian Delft made this revelation to City TV. I see ghosts all the time. Do you? Genuinely. I think I've Seriously? seen probably four. Seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you believe in ghosts? Yeah, well, I've seen them. The midfielder turned left back told the club's media channel that he sees spirits during an innocent Twitter Q&A session. He explained about the time he saw a ghost in his hotel shortly after signing for Aston Villa and that he'd experienced the supernatural even during his time at the Etihad. The one four months ago, that... That actually carried a, it was carrying a body. Yeah, yeah, and it went out onto my balcony. And that's not the first time something or someone to do with City was thought to be haunted. Historian Gary James explains about some suspicious activity at Main Road. Stan Gibson used to tell this story that um, there was a ghost in the pot lane stand. He believed it was a fan who had died during a game. And uh, his dog Sheba, an Alsatian that had, you know, used to Main Road, always sort of wouldn't refuse to go into the Platte Lane stand, always used to get you know crazy as if it could see something. Stan Gibson was absolutely adamant there was a ghost in the Platte Lane stand. More than the bizarre goings-on of Stan Gibson's dog, though, City's old ground had been cursed. Gary James picks up the story. Basically at Main Road, um, when City were clearing the land and trying to start building the stadium, basically there were some travellers on that, on that land and they were told they had to move. And one of the travellers threatened the club because the club had been a bit heavy-handed with them and threatened the club and said something like, no good will ever come to any any team that lives here, basically, or is based here. The curse was placed on the stadium and not the team. And while the effects of the supernatural are up for debate, what's for sure is that people bought into the idea. Every time something goes wrong, people say, oh, that's because of the curse. But I, I, I remember having a long conversation with a, a senior official at City um, quite about 15, 20 years ago now. And I said to him, um, nobody ever talks about the curse when we win the league. Or, you know, in 68, we never talked about it or the European Cup was cut. And it surprised me that this official was absolutely convinced the curse was real. As Gary explains, for every good moment while the curse was in effect, there was a bad moment to balance it out. And he said, ah, but you've got to remember, you know, we, um, we, we won the league at Newcastle. We didn't win our main road. OK, yeah. And then we got knocked out of the European Cup by Fenerbahce. Oh, that was a terrible night, blah, blah, blah. Right? Um, and he said, if the curse hadn't been on us, maybe we'd have won the European Cup. Okay, and then he he sort of rattled through all these positive moments and said it would have been bigger, it would have been better. In the late 1990s, going to Main Road was a bad experience for many as City dropped out of the Premier League and then sunk to their lowest ever point. They were relegated to the third tier in May 1998 and by the following December they were mid-table in what's now League One. Things were going disastrously wrong. Until, as Gary James tells us, someone at City got a call. An official at, at City, just somebody who worked in the offices, was contacted out of the blue by a member of the Travellers sort of community who claimed to be a descendant of the original Travellers who had, had um, put the curse on the club. And he offered to lift it. You might remember that City's resurgence in that 1998-99 season began a way to Wrexham on Boxing Day. Two days later, they came from behind to beat Stoke at Main Road and went on a run of just two defeats in the second half of the season to get themselves into the playoffs, eventually winning promotion. So when did the curse get lifted? It ended up that it, it was lifted on the day of the Stoke game in December. And if you remember, City were losing and then came back and won the game. And, and from then on, the momentum lifted. And what happened was this, this traveller came with some horseshoes and painted them city blue and white. 
and said these need to be in the ground on match days and the course will be lifted. Joe Royal and the players weren't told about it, but the horseshoes were there throughout City's revival to the Premier League. They also took it to some away games, smuggled in with Moonchester. Moonchester was responsible because Moonchester was the only one who wasn't going to get searched when we went to away games. But they then realised actually the curse is main road, not on the away games, so we stopped doing that. There was a couple of games where the, the horseshoes, for some reason, were not in the ground and City lost. So then they started to believe this thing. And it ended up that they were kept hidden in the stadium until Main Road's end. The question of whether the curse actually existed and if the exorcism of Main Road really had any effect is one that we may never know the answer to. And it may always come down to what individuals at City believed at the time. We know that football is a very superstitious game, but could that really have changed the club's fortunes both on and off the pitch? For no mere mortal can resist the evil of the thriller. <laughs> Hi guys, this is Gary Owen and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Facebook.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. A ghostly look at all things Manchester City there. Just before we move on, what is the biggest City horror show that, that you've seen? Um, I, I was going to throw in uh, one from back in the day, but I just remembered uh, the Liverpool home game in Pellegrini's last season. Uh, when he named the team as having uh, Di Michaelis and Mangala at centre-half and everybody in the stadium knew what was going to happen <laughs> except for him and they were 3-0 down inside, what, 20 minutes or so? At least <laughs> that was earlier yeah. in the season because there was later in the derby and he, I think he carried on with that midfield of Fernandinho and Yaya yeah. and it was like, <laughs> again, we know what's going to happen here. Um, yeah, the one that sprang to mind for me was again that Pellegrini season, uh, Leicester game because that was another shambles. Yeah. So. Oh yeah, well that was oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. that was I di- I didn't even bother going to that one. I knew that I had a cold and I knew the result, and I just thought I'm just <laughs> going to stay at home. <laughs> um, I think more recently, the, obviously the derby last year at the Etihad, that, that was, was a, a proper horror show. Yeah, it, it was. It's it's because like even though you knew they were going to win the league, it was because it was United that they had the ch- they, they were never going to get the chance to win it earlier than anybody else against United again, and they just. That opportunity is so it was so golden. Anyway, I, d- I don't even want to think about it. I know we've got uh, the derby coming up as well in a, in the uh, the next podcast. We'll be looking at that. But first, in this week's episode, we're going to be looking ahead to the Spurs and the Fulham match. And in an odd way, coming back from Ukraine this midweek, does the Spurs game being on a Monday actually help City? Do you think with recovery and, and stuff like that? I think it's nice because um, you think of the distance to Ukraine and, and it, I mean, the, the, you think of, of when the draw was made, everyone was going, oh, you don't want to be going to Shakhtar, it's a long way. and um, so, so having those extra days will help. I mean, what probably won't help is the NFL game the day before because um, I honestly, I, I, I've no idea what impact it'll have. Um, there, was, there was talk about the pitch being cut up after the last one. Um, I... I've never properly watched NFL. I don't know how. I don't know what it does to the pitch. It's you know I, I'm just imagining in my head a rugby game going on before it, and you just don't fancy it. So that probably won't help. But I think actually the recovery thing is it's you know Guardiola talks a lot about every three days, every three days, every three days. So it, it's nice to have that almost a week, despite mm. there being a Champions League game in there. I can imagine the uh, the ground staff at Wembley going to have the work cut out with Divertin. Uh Sam, is this an issue that that City are concerned about? Yeah, we talked about Guardiola getting things off his chest. I imagine the press conference on Friday is just going <laughs> to be, be fun, pitch chat the whole time. And again, he mentioned City's greenkeepers last week, which is obviously golf terminology he's picked up um, for you know keeping the city he's pitch laying the groundwork. Spot on. It, but yeah. yeah, he's laying the groundwork there. He, th- he'll, he'll be asked about it, but even if he's not asked about it, I'm It'll sure he'll get it off his off his chest because. And actually, I'm looking forward to seeing how how City adapt. I wonder if they not go long ball, but. I don't know, maybe a bit more direct. Well, I yeah, was say a bit more direct, but they're already quite direct. Yeah, so yeah, or maybe just really stick to the wings. Yeah, like um, there was a game I know it was at home, um, the Newcastle game, but like there was basically no one in the middle, which is the first time I've seen that from like, any Guardiola team, I think. Um, and was Huddersfield as well. Like anyway, didn't just didn't play a right side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But at least there was people yeah. dropping into the middle, and Newcastle it was just kind of really wide. So I wonder if we'll do something like that. But yeah, it's it's going to come up again. Obviously, City aren't happy about it because. Well, I don't think any like it's Southampton been, won't be happy about yeah, the game being it's been a shambles. next week. Spurs it's been have just answer, messed it's been up massively, so in like in every respect as well. Mm. And the thing is, talking about the NFL games, 
it was the Joshua fight which made it look terrible in the first place. Nobody expected <laughs> yeah. that, and there's been you know three um, three NFL games on it since then. It's just the whole thing's been a, a mess, and the way you know Spurs are. They're still posting. Oh, here's the new stadium. Here's the pitch being laid on it. There, hmm. you just think, come on, lads, give it a rest. And they, yeah. considering they haven't reimbursed like any of the fans, they, I mean, they really should have just swallowed it. And and given that like, Southampton fans their money back for trains they'd done for Manchester next week, and but and given City the, the three so. points because you know it's yeah. <laughs> it's it's like it's got to that stage. It has just been an utter farce from from minute one. Uh, City's form has been great, especially in the few weeks since that Leon defeat. How do you? see this game for Spurs it's it's weird because um, I, I don't know if it's because I look at it with my um, typical City fan hat on and Spurs have always caused City problems and it's always been kind of a, it's always been a tricky place for them to go um, they've done alright there um, recently so there's there's kind of that that element is um, it, it's kind of, it, it doesn't really come into play but ultimately still in the back of my head something says it's Spurs and Spurs Spurs cause teams problems and yet you look at the way they played in Europe the other night and you know they're, they're there to be got at and if there's any team that you don't want to be like that you don't want to be up against when that's you it's it's surely got to be city we will get your predictions for our charity bet shortly for the Spurs game but first let's have a quick look at that match against Fulham in the Carabao Cup how much do you think the the team will change for for this game yeah, well, again, with being you know the Spurs game put, getting pushed back, it's probably ideal after Ukraine. But obviously, then you got a bit of a knock on. Um, but we saw it was different against Oxford, and Fulham are in that kind of situation now where they're struggling in the Premier League. So, I don't think they're going to put up much of a fight, and they'd probably rest some of their players as well. But, the whole but City's Thursday fringe night players, vibe, City's fringe players, want to make a, an impact yeah, as well. You, if, you look at someone like Foden. If we were to run through to, the team yeah. now, it would still be a really strong team. Um, well, we might as well do it. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think I think you'll see a team similar to what played at Oxford. I think yeah. you'll. You, I think Foden, you, Diaz. I think Foden Diaz will play. I think Muric will be in goal. Um, but then you look at the rest of it. Sane's not yeah. played much. We were talking about Otamendi earlier. He'll be in. He'll be in. Um, the midfield. You're, I, I, maybe Stones Zinchenko's, will step into Zinchenko's midfield. Zinchenko's been fine. Yeah, Stones could go midfield, or he could go right back yeah. again. Um, yeah, you've you might have Dalv coming back. Maybe Gundogan coming back. I don't know. But there's just Bernardo Silva. Yeah. There's just it's so many good players in there, and so they, many difference makers, and they all want to make an impression because they all want to get in the first. They all can get in the first team. They all want to be in the first team. So, um, when when you used to say City had rotated for the cup, and then you go, oh well, that's that's probably why the performance dipped and they went out. It doesn't really apply anymore. That, mm. yeah, not in these kind of games. And the Thursday night thing is just it just feels a bit more like a, a walk in the park kind of thing. I wonder if Fulham might even just feel like. Let's just go there. Get <laughs> get, we'll, yeah, get a bye. Yeah, we'll we'll mess around with the team long, and we'll play long trip. on the weekend. Uh, let's get some of your predictions now. But for Leroy Sane's last-minute goal against Burnley, we'd have added some more to oh. the pot in our charity bet this season. Nice one, Leroy. Sadly, it wasn't to be, uh, which means so far we've raised £230 for the Christie Cantor Hospital in Manchester. And it's thanks to William Hill, who were giving each member of the team a £10 correct score single on City's game. So first up... Let's get your predictions for the match against Spurs. Richard the Burns has gone for a 3-1 win to Manchester City, a repeat of last season, which is 11-1 with William Hill, which means £110 could be added to the pot. David, what have you gone for? I wanted 3-1 as well, so I've uh, I've not won off and gone for 2-1, bit tighter. 2-1, 7-1 with Will Hill, £70 could be added to the pot. Sam? Yeah, I wanted 3-1 as well, and then I probably would have done 2, and then... I think it's more likely, I could be completely wrong and it could be a tight game, but I think it's more likely to be 4-1 than it is to be 1-0. So I'm going with 4-1. Spreading the bets this week, I like that. Let's well, if just, City, uh... you know, if City talk, find a bit of a clinical edge like we've been talking about. Yeah. It, could be. Yeah, same could as be. last season, but there's a second other one on the end. Well, for those, if they win 3-1, we should have all backed it. So it's still... yeah. <laughs> 4-1, 22-1, which means £220 could be uh, going in the pot, which is just under what, yeah. we've, what we've already got so far so fingers crossed for that one uh, and looking at the Fulham game uh, Richard Burns has gone for another repeat of earlier this season he's gone 3-0 City at 11-2 to which means £55 could be going in the pot David what have you gone for? No idea 2-0 for this one 2-0 13-2 £65 could be going in and Sam last but not least yeah I was going to do 3 and then I was going to do 2 so I've gone for 4 <laughs> 4-0 again going with the uh, the, the bigger odds 
Seven to one, seventy pounds could be going in the pot. Uh, wow. Don't forget, you have to be eighteen or over to gamble. Remember that prices can change, and for more on responsible gambling, head over to begambleaware.org. Now then, this season on the Blue Moon Podcast, we're taking a regular look at the youth teams at the club. Since the last feature, we've seen several players get more minutes in the first team. One in particular. Phil Foden is really pushing for more involvement at the highest level. David Mooney has been speaking to Sean Blinkhorn, an expert on the City EDS through his work, and he begins by explaining the impact of the recent game with Oxford United. The entire game to me felt like a like a special occasion. It, it was, you know, a, a lower league side away in the cup and a load of a load of kids on show. It's it's something that we don't really get to see much as, as City fans. I think uh, it felt it felt really special. Um, Phil, it was great to get that to get that monkey off his back and to get that that goal scored. I thought, especially from then as well. Every time he makes a cameo now, I think it's quite clear to say you, you you're passing him off as a youth player. He's not anymore. He's not. He's he's too good. He's even showing it. In his in his cameos, it's you know it's time to think of him as a as a senior player. I think. Now, obviously, not to, to give too much of a peek behind the curtain to listeners, uh, you you send me some some <laughs> ideas of what we're going to talk about for uh, for each section. Uh, I noticed you, you've highlighted a couple of players as well. Uh, first up is Rabbi Matondo. Um, talk to me about him. What's uh, what what's he like? He's well. It's important to note that recently. I mean, this came from his own words in an interview, but there's no reason not to believe him when you watch him. He came out and said that he is the quickest player at the club over 20 metres, which means obviously he's quicker than Walker, Sterling, Sane. It's quicker than Sane off the mark. And you can kind of see it sometimes when you watch him. But to go with that, that you know, that there's much more than physical development that needs to be to be done at this sort of level. When he he was he was thrown in at, at the EDS stage last year as a 16-year-old and looked so raw. He looked like a schoolboy playing football. Um but now he's starting to, I think he's the top scorer at the minute for the EDS, he's really starting to kick on uh, and show the sort of promise that that we that we, well, that we spent the money on, I guess. Um, separate to that, uh, it's, like I say, he's starting to find his feet, but another another point with him may be if he develops any further and maybe maybe if he stays at exactly the same level he's certainly a candidate to be rushed into the Wales senior squad much like has happened with Matt Smith uh, they seem to have a uh, they have a way of doing things at Wales where they will make sure that these players who might be good enough are locked to Wales it's you know the, the pair of those players are both born in England Rabbi's Rabbi was playing under 21 football at 17 year old uh, I think Matt Smith was 18 when they gave him his, his senior debut for for Wales. It, that seems to be the way, and much much in the same way, you may well see Robbie Matondo make his competitive debut for Wales before he ever plays for if he ever plays for Manchester City. That's for sure. And the other name that uh, that I notice you've written down there is Felix Nemecha. Now, uh, obviously, we, we we've seen Lucas Nemecha come into the first team. They, they, with a name like that, there must be a relation. Uh. Yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah, and it's, all you need to do is look at the pair together. Um, those who know me will know I've never been much of a fan of his of his older brother. Um, I've never he, he can finish two times out of ten, but there's never really been much to his game. Now, Felix. There's so much more to him. Um, again, he was another, a slightly later, but still an early, early promotion to the EDS last season, and immediately he looked the part, and he's just took it to another level this year. Uh, what I'd urge people to to watch, I, th- I think it was against Derby, he, he, the EDS. They um, played a, a few weeks back, and he, he scored an absolute beamer from outside the box, and then slid Lorenzo Gonzalez into round the keeper within. 10 minutes and then was taken off 58 minutes job done he he just looks sometimes looks head and shoulders he plays a little bit further back than his brother he, he plays that kind of attacking midfield role um i think the only issue may be as as good as he's looking at the minute um there's a couple of kind of there's a couple of issues one with the national team and then one i don't think i haven't heard yet that he's signed his professional deal and he's he's been eligible. He's eighteen now. He's been eligible for for over a year, um, and I'm wondering whether that's linked to how um, 
indecisive he is, let's say, on the national stage. He's actively playing for both England and Germany under, well, the younger age groups. In one case, at the, the, the beginning of this year, in the same international window, he's he, he seems to be a, the type of guy who is keeping his options open. And I do wonder whether that also falls over into he's not signing his professional deal because he may see you know more opportunities elsewhere which you know is is a problem we're going to deal with for for a long time to come by the sound of it but i do think from from how good he's looking so far that would be a massive shame this is the blue moon podcast sean blinkhorn speaking to david mooney about the city eds and how they're getting on at the moment time to move on unfortunately it is the final part of this week's episode but it is all about you guys it is ask the panel you get your questions into us via twitter at blue moon podcast or you can email through our website bluemoonpodcast.com if you have any burning questions make sure you send them through for the next episode the first one comes from blackpool blue ray on twitter when they finally add a third tier to the north stand would it be a good idea to introduce safe standing to the first tier what effect would that have on the atmosphere it's a bit like what we were talking about with the champions league thing earlier i think it will help but that's not just going to solve it by itself you can't just round up a load of people and go do you want free tickets and do you want to stand up for the game therefore the atmosphere is going to be good They'll have to be, that was mentioned with the Palace thing, there'll have to be some consultation with the fans. You'll have to fill it with the right amount of, well, the right kind of fans who want to make an atmosphere of it. Uh, I think it, it would help. Um, I think it'd help. I, I, think... I, I, it's, it, I think it's a shame that it's been held back for so long. Mm. Um, I, I, yeah, I definitely think it, it would help, but the club would have to do a lot of consultation. But that's the kind of thing that they're not necessarily good at all the time, but they're keen to do it, aren't they? They, yeah. always, they do like speaking to the fans and getting their views. So I don't see why it wouldn't work. I... Um... I mean, it's funny because I, I understand the safe standing debate. Um, all I would say is that standing is not really for me. Um, I'm only, I, like, I know there's going to be a lot of people that are older than me listening to this and going, oh, you whippersnappers sort of thing, but I'm 30 years old with a bad back. I can't stand for 90 minutes and I can't, I, I just can't do it. I just, I'd rather sit down and stand up for the exciting bits. Um, so, but equally on the other side of it, I get that people want to go there. I, I get that people want to be able to drink as well um, while they're watching the game. And that they want to stand in 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 uh, in terracing, and so if they, if there's, I don't see why terracing can't be done safely. You just sell like a, an area of terrace. It doesn't. It just makes perfect sense. You've not got too many people in there. Um, and if you're gonna if they're gonna redevelop the north stand, which you expect they will do at some point, I don't I see any reason. It's gonna be a while. Yeah. I was gonna say what what's gonna happen first? Safe standing coming in or the north stand? Yeah. I spoke to someone at the club recently for the ten year thing, and obviously they've got the plans to do it. They know how they're gonna do it. They'd probably know how much it's gonna cost and all that. But there's there's no rush to do it yeah. basically, and it's because it's the demand. And I'm not taking the mick. You know, it's, there's not quite the demand there to mm. add in an extra ten thousand seats in the middle, or five thousand or whatever, or fifteen thousand standings. Yeah, but, yeah, but they're spots, obviously yeah. waiting for the next. You know, the next demand. You know, they had the demand to do the south stand a few years ago. They're waiting for that to do the next the next one, and that'll be obviously with more success and maybe more international fans and successful well, Champions League kind of thing. I mean, surely you know you put an extra X thousand amount of £300 season tickets on. And sure, yeah, yeah. you know, it's... Yeah, true. I think it, it has to be priced right as well. Um, I don't think... Cause well, that's I, the other thing it, with safe standing. Yeah. It should. It, it, there should be. There should be cheaper tickets with that if it's if it comes in. Um, so, yeah, I'd be interested to see what happens. Um, ultimately, I'd, for the answer to the question, um, I don't know. Well, there you go, Blackpool Blu-ray. Harris Ahmed on Twitter has been in touch. Why doesn't the defence get the credit it deserves? Lovren and Van Dijk at Liverpool are always talked about, but Laporte's impact and Stone's maturity is going under the radar. First of all, do you agree with that? And uh, why don't they get the credit? I think it's... For Liverpool, I think it's interesting because City's defence this season... City's defence last season was pretty damn good. Um, they were they had moments last season where people say, "Oh, the defence is a bit shaky," and then when you kind of watched it over the course of a season, you realise that it, it just it wasn't really. They had they just had the moments. But Liverpool's defence last season was a car crash, and this season it's not. That's why I think it's making. That's why it's getting headlines because they've had more because, of an impact. Yeah, it's yeah. it's changed so much. Um, but it's because there's the thing is though because City had that the whole team Guardiola's first yeah. season not so good. Second season, brilliant. People didn't really know why, but with Liverpool defence, you can go Virgil Van Dijk, yeah, and that's basically how. And they've got goalkeepers, not just the, not just the fans, yeah. but the media as well. It's a really simple way of looking at a football, and they've gone, yeah, Allison Van Dijk, 
it's working that's for them. it and, and, and it's, it's easy to analyze yeah. and you can look at you can pull up van dyke van dyke stats and go he's won this many headers this many clearances blah 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 with city, city it's, got it. it's harder to work out because it's like how like what pundit would be able to go on oh, well, the, the, the pressing in, more at the front work yeah. at the moment and say oh yeah it's because of this that doesn't happen that's not how the yeah. media works in this country there's not enough people who look at the game like that and I'm not saying oh, I would because I don't know the ins and outs of it but I know what Guardiola said I know what company said and I'll take their word for it but not, to an extent, City got it. Deep uh, to an extent, City got it last season as well with Edison. Look, look how Edison's changed the team, and yeah. that you know that, that was ultimately what people put the, the finger on. And um, you know, I, I thought we gave Stones and the Port quite a lot of praise earlier on in the show. So I you was know. just going to say, if you've been listening to the Blue Moon <laughs> podcast for the past few weeks, it's been quite the uh, Stones and the Port loving. It's coming there. It's coming. If there's yeah. a clean sheet at Spurs, then people will start talking about the defence because people are cutting onto it now. Although, I, if there is a clean sheet at Spurs, we don't win the charity. I was going to so. say, I hope there isn't a clean sheet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> That is it for this week's Blue Moon podcast. If you would like to hear some more, though, we've got a bonus show for all our patron backers of $2 a month or more. This week, it is all about bad refereeing decisions and City uh, that have both benefited and hindered the team. There's been quite a few of uh, each, to be fair. Yeah, it goes on for three hours, this session. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'll get four or five extra shows of at least 10 minutes for your money, which works out about pound fifty a month bargain uh, once again thank you to my two studio guests gold.com Sam Lee thank you and BBC Five Live and the Blooming Podcast David you're Neal. really egging that pudding aren't you yeah thanks <laughs> and thank you for listening once again have a great week was the blue moon podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast i wanted to make a comment about how this show's been maths with sam lee i was thinking about a venn diagram first but i think the graph works better right <laughs> <laughs>